Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. I have seen a lot of bumper stickers, uh, as I'm sure you have. They're, they're not as common uh, recently, I don't think, as they used to be, and seen some interesting ones. You know the Mini Coopers, those little cars? Look at that bumper sticker there, actual size. Some people are not content just to have one bumper sticker, right? They're really into it, maybe like this car. I'm actually not a big fan of bumper stickers. In fact, I've never put one on my vehicles, but I did see one uh, that I liked. If if this is your first time, my name is Jerry. I'm the pastor here. (laughs) But the one that I saw that I liked the most was this one. Christianity is religion, and religion is scratched out, and it's relationship. You know, that statement fits well very well with what we've been talking about to the the children all week long in this twist in terms. It was built, as you know, probably on a game theme. And the idea, the concept was that when you follow Jesus Christ, that changes the game. That changes everything. Following Jesus Christ can change someone from being separated from God to being changed to be made like him and close to him and that's what we were communicating all week long and it we weren't communicating religion we were communicating a relationship with with God and what I want to do in our time as our children right now they're back in their classes for one last time they're having one more uh, lesson that's kind of wrap up their week Um, I wanted us to take a look into the fourth book of the New Testament, which is the Gospel of John. And I wanted to look at three people for whom this happened. Three people that Jesus Christ talked to about a game change in their life. Again, all week long, we had so many children that heard this message. But let's check it out this morning ourselves. We're going to look at a man named Nicodemus. We're going to look at a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman at the well. And we're going to look at a man named Thomas. And along the way, we're also going to uh, consider some contemporary figures like Tom Brady and Holly Berry and see what they say about some of these issues. So let's, let's consider how Jesus changes people. Let's look at three of those people. And the first one is Nicodemus, John chapter 3. Uh, if you have a Bible or a phone with a Bible on it, if you don't, the, the verses will be on the screen behind me. A man named Nicodemus, he was changed from religion to relationship. He was changed from religion to relationship. Let's read about him beginning in verse 1 of John chapter 3. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. So here was Nicodemus. He was a religious leader. He was a member of the Jewish religious or ruling council called the Sanhedrin. He was someone that people looked 
up to in that day. In the first century, uh, if, if you wanted to say, who are the most spiritual people? Who are the ones that are closest to God? People would have pointed to somebody like Nicodemus. Most likely, he was self-confident. He was probably proud of his religious achievements. And yet, he had questions about Jesus. Verse 3 tells us this. This was Jesus' response after, or, or to his comment that, hey, we know you've come from God. And look what Jesus said to him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, to a first century Jewish religious leader like Nicodemus, seeing the kingdom of God would have meant to uh, participate in God's kingdom at the end of the age. It's what we today might call going to heaven. So that's what Nicodemus would have known in his mind when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God. But really what Jesus says to him is shocking. Because Nicodemus would have thought that every Jewish person, every single Jewish person would go to heaven. That would have been what his religion would have led him to believe. It's very similar today. People think probably in America, if you ask, do you believe in God? Do you believe in an afterlife? Do you believe in heaven? And those that would affirm those types of things, and I know there's some who wouldn't affirm those things, but those who would affirm those things, they would pretty much say, yeah, good people go to heaven. And most people in our society think, ultimately, that if somebody's basically good, if they do more good in their life than bad, if they're not, like, way out there like a, a murderer or something, that they'll end up being with God in the end after this life. That's what most people think. That's what Nicodemus thought. But Jesus didn't think that. He said to him, unless... You're born again, born a second time. You, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. That was, that was shocking news to him. And think about it. If Nicodemus is kind of at the top of the pecking order or near the top, and with all of his religious achievement, if he couldn't see God's kingdom apart from this spiritual experience that Jesus is talking about, what hope is there for anybody else? And the answer is zero. There's, there's no hope for anybody else. No one of us are going to be, quote, more spiritual than Nicodemus on our own. We're not going to be able to do more religious things than he did. And so what was Jesus talking about? He's talking about this spiritual birth, a being born again. And there's this dialogue. We're not going to have time to look at all the dialogue, but Jesus and Nicodemus talk back and forth. And Jesus explains to him that, you know, when a birth happens, when a physical birth happens, it's it, it is an amazing thing. Some of you have given birth or been in a delivery room when it happened or had children or grandchildren or friends who, who gave birth. It's an amazing thing when this, when a baby's born and, and new life bursts forth, right? That in that same way, just like there's new life that comes, Jesus is not talking about just a religious experience where you go through some rituals. He's talking about a spiritual birth. 
He's talking about what the Bible talks about being saved. It's, it's, it's a person who is not close to God and Jesus changes the game for them. He saves them. He brings them life. And it's, it's just as real of experience spiritually as new birth is for a baby physically. Well, but that brings up an important question. So how does that happen? And so as they dialogue further, uh, there's, Jesus explains that God has done what is necessary for that to happen. Verse 14 in this same chapter, Jesus alludes to something that happened back in the Old Testament. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. There was this story in the Old Testament where people were bitten by snakes and Moses put a bronze snake up on, on a stick and the, and what God said was, I'm gonna heal the people who turn and look there. And just like that brought physical healing to them, Jesus himself is going to be lifted up and people who look to him will experience spiritual healing where Did that happen? This is where Jesus was lifted up on the cross. He was lifted up on the cross. And it is actually explained in some of the most famous words. Sometimes they're given without context, but now you know the context. All of this discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus leads to verse 16. For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Believes in him. Not in a church. Not in a religious experience like baptism or confirmation or first communion or personal merit or giving away money to the poor. It's whoever believes in him. Now the New Testament was written in the language Greek and in the Greek language in which this was written, the, the present tense is used here for beliefs. In other words, it gives an idea that this is a lifetime of believing. It's a, an ongoing process that someone believes in Jesus. And it doesn't say believes that. I think a lot of people believe that Jesus was the Son of God or from God or a teacher or something. But it's whoever believes in him. This is, here's a picture to me of what believing in versus believing that is. If you're this child right there and your father is standing there, you've gotten up there and you want to get down. And he says, come on, jump, I'll I'll catch you. The child can intellectually believe, but really it takes a Belief in, not just I believe that my dad could catch me, but I believe in my dad and I'm going to throw all my weight on him, all my dependence on him. Does that make sense? That's what believing in is about. And what does Jesus offer? Eternal life. It's not just a religious list of do's and don'ts. He offers life. So that that is the first conversation about change. The second one is 
in the very next chapter, John chapter 4, there was a woman whose background was very, very different than Jesus. She went from searching to forgiven and fulfilled. We'll pick up in John 4, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In the first century, the Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans as being, in their mind, a mixed race. And they didn't want anything to do. In fact, the the writer puts in parentheses there and explains that Jews didn't have anything to do. They didn't associate with Samaritans. Here was a woman that was really at the bottom. While Nicodemus was at the top, so to speak, this woman was at the bottom. We're going to find out she's had an experience of going from man to man to man to man to man to try to find fulfillment in her life. And she's coming there to draw water by herself, which was very, very unusual. Normally, women would do that in groups in the first century. Why, why did she come by herself? Did she feel ostracized? Did she feel like everybody in the town knew what her reputation was and they didn't want anything to do with her? That, those are very, very possible things. And, and men didn't necessarily speak to women publicly in that culture. And so the fact that Jesus, whom she in her mind believed was this prophet, would stop and talk to her, that was amazing to her. And look what Jesus says to her. In verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He wants a physical drink. He asked for a physical drink to satisfy his physical thirst. But he's saying to her in her shock, if you really knew who I was. You would ask me and I would give you living water. I would give you something that would satisfy you forever, some eternal satisfaction. People are searching for satisfaction in life. They're trying it in their career. They're trying it, looking for it in their family, their relationships, maybe their achievements, maybe their hobbies, whatever it is. People are searching, searching, searching to fill the hole that's in their heart. And they seem to be trying everything. And some things they're trying are good in themselves. And some things they're trying are bad. But they're trying to be fulfilled. And this woman was searching. But she could never find lasting fulfillment on her own. After winning the third of his seven Super Bowls, quarterback Tom Brady was interviewed by uh, 60 Minutes. And listen to what he said. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it's all about. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. I love playing football and I love being quarterback. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. Holly Berry, one of People Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People in the World, made this comment on physical beauty. 
She said, beauty? Let me tell you something. Being thought of as, quote, a beautiful woman has spared me nothing in life. No heartache, no trouble. Love has been difficult. Beauty is essentially meaningless and it is always transitory. I can't believe what people do to themselves to make themselves look beautiful. The excess, and then they end up distorted. Worse, they still have that hole in their soul that led them to change themselves to begin with. You see, we're all searching. God created human beings, and he created us with a God-shaped vacuum. There's something in us that desires ultimate, long-term, long-lasting, eternal fulfillment. And this woman of, from Samaria was seeking that. She was thirsty. <laughs> Jesus was physically thirsty, but she was spiritually thirsty, right? And look what Jesus says. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks... The water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, that sounded good to her. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. So she's probably expecting him to to give it, but he has to confront her first. The woman said to him, sir, give, give me this water so I won't have to get thirsty and keep coming back here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said, you're right to say when you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. You know what he's saying there? You have to be honest about your sin if you want to be fulfilled in God. Sin is when we do wrong. Sin is when we center our lives on ourselves and our desires rather than making God the center of our life. And this woman had tried everything, it seemed, to fulfill that. And Jesus is going to offer her forgiveness and offer her fulfillment and offer her eternal life. But first, she's got to admit that she needs it. Can I ask you, where, where are you on that? Do, do you know you need God? Again, we're not talking about just a religious experience or going jumping through a lot of hoops, but do you realize that you need a personal relationship with God? This is where it starts. Understanding that you and I are all sinners. We have all fallen short of God's glory. And Jesus came to take care of that and pay the price for it. This is what happens. When we choose to admit that we need a relationship with God, that's the first step. And then we choose to admit that and we believe in him, not believe that. It's like I've got this little chart. I think it's on your outline sheet. There's a huge difference between religion and relationship with God. Religion talks about what I do. All different kind. If you study all the religions of the world, they're going to focus on what you need to do in order to be acceptable to God. But Christianity is not a religion in the same sense. 
A relationship with God focuses on what Christ has done, what he did on the cross. Another difference. Religion is about striving. Oh, I got to do better. I got to do more. I got to stop doing this. Relationship is about trusting God, trusting Jesus. And then religion is about knowledge. I need to know all of these things. Whereas a relationship is about knowing God or Christ personally. So that's Nicodemus. That's the woman at the well. Let's look as we wrap it up to one more person. That is at the end of John, John chapter 20, a man named Thomas. He went from being a skeptic to a believer. Nicodemus wasn't a skeptic. He saw Jesus. The woman at the well, that was a new experience for her, but she believed he was a prophet. John 20 occurs after Jesus lived, after he died, was buried, and rose from the dead three days later. Verse 24 says, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Think about it. He's one of the twelve. Jesus had twelve men that followed him very, very closely. And he was one of them. And there was an occasion when Jesus appeared to them and Thomas wasn't with them at that time. But they came and reported to Thomas, we have seen him. Look what he said. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Have you ever heard the phrase doubting Thomas? That's kind of where it comes from. It's like, hey, I need some proof. So verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Remember what Thomas said he needed? (laughs) He wanted to see the marks and put his hands there. So Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Verse 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet had believed. Thomas doubted because people just don't normally rise from the dead. But the one who did rise from the dead appeared in person to Thomas and said, here I am. Now, what about us today? We're not going to see Jesus physically like Thomas did, but is there evidence? Is this, is this just something that Christians believe? Like somehow we've made up stories that he rose from the dead somehow. How do we know that Jesus even lived? How do we know that he was a historical figure? Well, There's a lot there, and we have material. If any of you are interested in exploring that, we have a lot of material that we can share with you that. But let me just tell you one little snippet. Tacitus was a Roman historian who lived um, throughout the reigns of more than six Roman emperors. He was called the greatest historian of ancient Rome. And writing in AD 115... In his annals, he wrote about a great fire that happened in the city of Rome um, during Nero's reign. Listen to what he says. To get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures 
on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. So Nero was blaming the Christians. A lot of people believe Nero set the fire and Nero blamed Christians for doing it. And then his term for Jesus is Christus. This is just a secular Roman historian. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, but again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but in Rome. So in other words, what Tacitus was saying there, he was calling it a superstition, this thing that Christians believed, and it came from Christ. It it, it stopped for a while, but then it broke out, as he says, not only in Judea, but also in Rome. What could have caused that to happen? Maybe it was the fact that hundreds of people saw Jesus Christ in person after he rose from the dead. And we do know that's the count, that there were hundreds of people who saw him, just like Thomas saw him. But there were others. Jesus is a historical figure. But he's not just a historical figure. He is the eternal Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He is the one that can change people's lives. He can change somebody from being just religious to having a relationship. He can change someone from just being on a search for fulfillment to being forgiven of their sins and totally fulfilled eternally. He can change someone from being a skeptic into being a believer. Now, what happened to these three people? Nicodemus, we don't know for sure whether he fully started following Jesus or not. There are some indications later in the gospel, some of his actions give us the idea that that was a possibility. The woman at the well, she testified to other people in her town about Jesus and who he was so that many of them believed. And Thomas... He became one of the ones that was sent out as an evangelist and a missionary for the Christian gospel. Uh, went to many different places. Some, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but some extra biblical tradition says that Thomas may have even made it as far as India in sharing the gospel. So I want to say to you today, as we look at these three, I, I just would ask you, can you relate to any one of those three people? And if so, Jesus offers you the same things that he offered them. He, like Nicodemus, he offers you new spiritual life. Like the woman at the well, he offers forgiveness. And like Thomas, he offers evidence. Let me just summarize the good news for today. Um, that starts with a reality check. If you look at the picture on the screen, here we are as human beings, and there's this chasm between us and God. There's a separation, and 
people try to do all kind of things to get across that chasm. They're like, oh, if I can be good enough and moral and give money and join a church or a religion and, and do all kind of things, I'll somehow be able to get over there to God. But the truth is that we are separated from God because of our wrong. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. That's separation. Death is separation. Physical death is when someone is separated from their body. Spiritual death is when we're separated from God. And eternal death is when that happens forever. If you look on the other side, the Romans 6.23 says the free gift of God is eternal life. So we earn something, which is separation, but God chooses to give us something. And that's a gift of eternal life. Where and how does he do it? He does it when Jesus Christ bridges the gap. He came, he lived a perfect life, and he died not because he ever did anything wrong, but he died because he wanted to take our wrong on him. And now, here's the way this gets appropriated. When you believe in Jesus Christ... You are saved. Not when you just believe that, but when you believe in. I want to close with this story. Uh, I'm happy all of you here. I'm happy that my middle son and his wife and family are, are here. Several years ago, they, they were in Asia. And... Uh, we were here, and they said, hey, we're having this conference in Hawaii, and we wonder if you and mom would be interested in, in coming and, like, keeping the kids, uh, you know, the grandchildren while we were there at the conference. Now, think about that for a minute, how tough that decision was. Grandchildren, Hawaii, we had to really, really pray and fast and seek counsel. And about eight seconds later, we said yes. We had a lot of fun on that trip. We had a lot of great things. Um, both Justin and Natalie are pretty adventurous. Um, and they, they're like, hey, why don't, we, why don't we take one of those helicopter rides that they take you into uh, they cross the water, but they take you into a dormant volcano and you ride around and go out. And, and so here we are. <laughs> uh, now, it is one thing to believe that the helicopter will make it in and out of the volcano. It's one thing to believe that the pilot will be able to navigate the winds and everything to get you there safely or not. But it is a totally different experience when you believe in that pilot and that helicopter. And we did it. When we stepped onto the helicopter, we were saying, I no longer just believe that you can do it. I'm believing in you. And that turned out to be one of the coolest experiences of my life. And we did get to see sights like this on that helicopter. 
These are actual pic. This isn't National Geographic. These are pictures I took or we took and see sites like this. I am so glad that we chose to believe in the pilot and the helicopter. And here's what I just a very simple offer today. Jesus Christ loves you and is the savior of the world. Do you believe in him? Are you willing to step on board with him? If you'll do that by faith, the things, the fulfillment, the forgiveness, the long-term hope for heaven, it is indescribably good. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.